0: But uh, it is good to be here tonight. I can say that. I know you're probably like every pastor says that every service ever, but I was gone last week. I was in the DR. So it's good to be back. I was gone for two weeks. That felt like two months. But uh, now that the mic's going as well, it, David Godwin, if you're podcasting this, the guy who was doing the video announcements, you've got about three compliments on the length of your dreads as they come in. So know that we're admiring your hair here in Suffolk. So again, it's good to be here. We were in the Dominican Republic this time last week, and then we landed. I went home, and about 24 hours later, I was off to the hills of upstate New York with the pastoral staff going to Elam Conference. We're a part of Elam Fellowship, which is in Lima, New York, so you can check out their website. There's there's Elam Fellowship, and then there's Elam Bible College, and then there's Elam the Church, so you, could, you might find one of three websites, but that's where we were last week getting poured into. It was awesome, so I know all of the pastors at every campus are juiced up and ready to preach, but uh, my flesh got a little weak, right? All that traveling, so I've got this throat coat to get me through because I lost my voice during the worship set, but it doesn't matter during a sermon. I could sound like Morgan Freeman or Tommy Lee Jones or Clint Eastwood. It doesn't matter Uh, because I'm not singing. I'm just talking. So if I lose my voice, I'm just going to take another swig of this. But uh, see, I wrote most of this while I was sick back at the hotel during that conference. But I preached last week in the hills of the Dominican Republic about what, six hours from Santa Domingo, west, northwest from there. It's the most beautiful backdrop you could ever ask for. Um, It's uh, just beautiful. I just think while I was up there, like Jesus was preaching his sermon on the mount, here I am. This scenery might even be better than what he had, because it was that good. But I was preaching through a translator, and uh, that can be frustrating at times. I had a great one, but there's, a, there's sometimes you have a not so good one who's not animated, is monotone, whatever. But this was a, a great translator. But just as I was preaching, nothing turns you into a schizo like public speaking, because there's always one train of thought in the back of your head as you're talking. And as I was speaking there in the Dominican Republic, I just started reflecting on what the, the work of the Holy Spirit every week in the church as pastors preach. It takes the word and just makes it applicable to every person, every situation. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work. So can I pray? even before I preach tonight, just for the Holy Spirit to do work here. Lord God, we just offer this service up to you. We thank you for the worship that we're able to experience. Even that announcement for for Secret Church, Lord God, just reflecting on the freedom we have to come here in America and worship you. God, pursue your presence. God, we say yes to whatever you want to do tonight. God, rearrange our ways of thinking, our paradigms, shift our perspective, God, we simply say yes to your Holy Spirit and what you want to do. And everybody said, amen. So how many of you guys here enjoyed the word Pastor Fred brought last week? Come on. Again, one church, three locations. And it's live preaching at each location. And every one of those podcasts are available online. So you can make that a part of your regular routine. We do Saturday night church. So you can still do church on Sunday, but like later in the morning, in bed, in your pajamas, and podcast some other sermons. It's what I do. I know it's what I do. But uh, that's what's available every week. But this week, all three campuses were dialing in to the, the subject matter of giving because I came back from the DR and it's our, it's our first quarter is wrapped up and where we are as a church. So there's an update I wanna give, but let's be serious. There's a, a word I wanna give that I believe God gave us. I love what David Platt said in that video. It's like a fire hydrant of truth, digest it later. Hopefully I got a fire hydrant that can just hit you with of, of God's word. But it's out of Jesus's own Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 6, 22 through 33. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If you've got an app, you can swipe there. And then there's Bibles under your seat as well. But it's Matthew 6, 22 through 33. And this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is where Jesus breaks down the good news, breaks down the gospel, and essentially shows us and tells us, if you're going to live this out, this is what it's going to look like. Because the good news is more than just a system of beliefs. It's more than just the answer to a couple questions. And that's a good thing. Because when life gets hard, when tragedy strikes, we need more than just a set of beliefs or something to lean on that's theological or or, uh, philosophical. We need a relationship with a very real God that affects the way we live, that transforms us and affects how we walk through those seasons. So Matthew 6, verse 22 through 33 starts with your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Such a powerful passage, and, and, and again, had my own little sermon on the mountain, La Guasara, and then we took a, it took 10 hours, a 10 hour drive back to Santo Domingo, and it was shocking and jarring, the transition, because we went from this village, it's the picture on the top, very little water that's available, that's drinkable, right? We're building latrines for these homes, and then we show up at this five-star resort on the bottom that Food for the Hungry set us up at as we waited for our flight. It was crazy. We got in there and as we're waiting to check in for our room, they're giving us like virgin daiquiris. Like as we wait, I'm like, I'm still sweaty and I, I hadn't had a shower in a week. I'm like, I don't even know why you're standing next to me, but sure, thank you. We went to the beach and there were like free five-minute massages. Like, Steph, we good? All right, we good, right? Like just, it was incredible. It was, it was almost shocking. And now some of you that are like, had never given a second thought to go in the DR, you're like, oh, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'll think about that next year. But uh, as nice as this resort was, I want to say at about 9 p.m., we're all relaxed, we've gone to the beach, we come back, we're all in our rooms, and the power goes out. Like, all the power, like the entire grid. You walk outside, it is pitch black, total darkness. And I I was trying to make light of it because I'm with Steph and she freaks out about everything, but part of me is like, I never never saw The Purge, but I'd imagine that's how that movie starts, right? Like, I was like, the machete we got for your brother? Yeah, pull that out just in case. I mean, it's, it's why kids sleep at night with a nightlight, because we like to be able to see at least a little bit. But it was pitch black, total blackout. We don't like it when our vision is totally gone. And uh, there was a show that I came across years ago called Total Blackout. Anybody heard of it? Probably not. My wife, because I subjected her to it. It was on the Sci-Fi channel. It was hosted by Urkel, Jaleel White, right? But it was hilarious. You can find clips on YouTube. I've actually got a clip right here. It's called Total Blackout. What they did... Is they would put, I don't know why they put them in jumpsuits, but then they put them in these pitch black dark rooms and had them like touch things, figure out what they were. They had them like, you know, figuring all kinds of stuff out. I'll give you a little sample here in the video. Come on, Lord. <laughs> it's slimy. It's slimy. It's, it's a. It's slimy! Get it's back chicken. in there! It's Get... Chicken! Wait, it's chicken meat! Uh, it's you slimy. are not pulling your weight, sister. It's come slimy. on. It's ooh. slimy. Ooh. ooh, ooh, what is that? Okay. It's slimy. Yeah. Last item, Mariah. You're up. <laughs> what? What? right! Come on, come on, come on. What is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? Oh, no. The last one? That last one was <laughs> creepy. Uh. Oh, what? Oh, my God, is it a rabbit. It's quick, rabbit. Uh. Yeah, I'm telling you, there's hours of YouTube clips. You can waste your entire night tonight. Look up total blackout, right? But this verse we get in Matthew six, it paints this picture of the eye. Because again, we don't like when an entire sense is removed. Like Tara Tutson and my wife tried. She brought these wax uh, earplugs that literally you were deaf to the world, and it was freaky for them. Like could hear nothing. We don't like the same thing with our vision. We don't like total blackout when that entire sense is removed. And we get this picture of the eye in Matthew 6 verse 22 that says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now what this means is straightforward. If My eyes are working right now. I'm going to not see the light, but receive the light, be able to walk around without tripping on a pew or rolling down the aisle. But if my eyes don't work, Doesn't matter how much light is in this room, because there's nothing else on my body, no other organ that can receive the light and give me sight. I need my eyes. I need my vision. And as a man, I've almost universally seen this verse applied to men and lust and sins of the eye. But the verse is more than just about be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's about be careful what you don't see. Someone once pointed out to me that this verse isn't surrounded by discussions on lust. It's surrounded by discussions on money and possessions, both in Matthew and in Luke, where, where Jesus uses it twice. Matter of fact, in Matthew 6, the grouping in my Bible says teaching about money and possessions. And then just a couple verses later is this verse in Matthew 6:22. It's even more explicit in Luke 11 and 12, where in Luke 11, he tells this illustration again. How many of you guys know Jesus taught hundreds, maybe thousands of times, and even he might have used the same material more than once? That pastor that goes to that conference, you're like, that was the most amazing sermon I've ever heard. He's probably preached it a dozen times, right? So Jesus had illustrations just like that. In Luke 11, he uses this illustration again. And after more discussion on material things, in Luke 12, he says, watch out beyond your guard against all kinds of greed. Jesus says, watch out about money and greed because it hides itself. You can struggle with greed or materialism and not even realize it because you're standing in the dark. He doesn't have to say watch out about other sins. You don't have to watch out about adultery. Nobody gets halfway into adultery and says, wait, you're not my wife? Or nobody, unless your name is Bruce Banner, gets all violent and hurts a bunch of people and then says, wait, was that me? No, you don't have to watch out for those things. Those are pretty blatantly obvious. But Jesus says watch out about materialism. You look at common sins and you realize that greed and materialism, it's different because it hides itself. Materialism can blind you and hide in your blind spots. Materialism can blind you to materialism. For instance, you ask a lot of pastors or, or just confide in people, even just leading up to this, asking people like, you don't have a lot of people confessing to greed. Lust, lying, anger, those things, but you don't typically have anybody come up to you and say, I'm struggling with greed. I'm struggling with materialism. And it's because in our minds, we don't have all that much. Like, when I think of me, I don't think, oh, I'm, I'm loaded, I'm rich. And a majority of us right now, they're, we're thinking, well, this doesn't really apply to me. You probably don't want to hear about it, not because you're hostile in any kind of way, but you think, ah, I don't really have all that much to worry about in terms of materialism. You know, like, we watch TV and we see a commercial for a Mercedes and think, man, that must be nice. Right? Or a slingshot. Think, man, that must be nice. <sighs> But you know only 8% of the world even has a car? If you have a car, you're in like the top 8% of the world when you think about just owning things. 92% of the world would see somebody in a 92 Mazda and think, man, that must be nice. We're the commercial most of the world is watching. Here's a couple other stats. One billion people in the world don't have clean access to water or access to clean water. The average American uses 400 to 600 liters of water a day. Every seven seconds, somewhere in the world, a child under five dies of hunger. The average American household throws away 14% of the food it purchases. Americans spend more annually on trash bags than nearly half of the world does on all of its purchases when you look at countries. And that's not for a a guilt trip or for us to totally reassess the way we live, but that's just a a, a reality check to challenge our, our perspective on how blessed we really are. It's like the Philosopher from the 1990s said, Christopher Wallace, the Notorious B.I.G., more money, more problems. But since we're in church, you could echo Jesus. Watch out. Watch out. Because we can be mesmerized by materialism, blinded. And the problem isn't money. Money's a good thing. Hear people say all the time, money is the root of all evil. Eh, you read it wrong. The love of money is the root of all evil. Owning money is a good thing. It's a bad thing when money owns you. The problem isn't things either, or pleasures. God created us to experience pleasure, and in doing so, praise him. That's why he put us in Eden, whose very name of the location means pleasure. That's what the word Eden means. But when his creation and the pleasures it offers us takes our focus and dependence off him, then there's trouble. That's why Adam and Eve bit the apple and we're no longer in Eden. And Adam, man, was a passive fool at the fall says he was standing right there as Eve took that apple, took a bite. You know, Pastor Fred, and he's been talking to us about just the conviction he's had recently, about how we've done a disservice as pastors, not addressing giving and generosity and helping people out of the darkness that it can put them in. Again, Steph, during the worship set quoted Isaiah 61, part of that is release for darkness from prisoners. And unchecked hearts that aren't challenged to give and be generous, they end up in darkness. I bet a lot of you have heard of Tim Keller. He's kind of a heavyweight. He's, he's planted a very successful church in New York. He's prolific with his preaching. He's written a bunch of books, probably ones we've done life groups based off of. And, and somebody was interviewing him as he looks back on decades of ministry, and they asked him if he had any regrets. And he said, I've not spoken about generosity enough. I've probably shied away from the topic, even though the Bible talks about it a great deal. That's weighty when you hear that from somebody like Tim Keller. Just how much is a great deal, though? If you look at the Bible, 16 out of 38 parables that Christ gives deal with money. One out of every 12 verses in the New Testament deals with money. There are about 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, and over 2,000 on money. You know, here at City Life, we don't typically preach chronologically, meaning verse to verse through chapters and books of the Bible. We've done that before. Jamie preached through Acts recently. But if we did, if we preached verse through verse through the New Testament, we would talk about money a lot. One out of every 12 verses talks about money. And Jesus didn't leave it out of the most significant sermon he ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And he clearly wasn't speaking on it because he wanted to get rich. This was a guy who had no place to lay his head. He's just a vagabond spreading the good news. And I don't know why we assume when pastors do the same that they're out to get a buck. Jesus preached on money and generosity because it's an integral part of living the gospel. And we can't keep it out of our teaching pulpit. Pastor Fred once spoke about the pathways we talk about here at City Life. Those 12 pathways. They're prayer, scripture, fasting, worship, service, resting, reaching, gathering, relationship, stewardship, accountability, and generosity. If you want that list again, Me up the website, cedarlifeva.com. But there's 12 pathways we talk about. Pastor Fred once gave this analogy of them being slats on a barrel. And you can only fill that barrel up as high as the tallest slat. If one's neglected, we can't be that full. So how do you measure that? How do you measure the pathways? Because even Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, to test your faith. And I've said it before, we don't like tests. Yeah, who likes a test? Not me. That kid in class who's like, didn't we have a quiz today? That's the one that always would be getting punked after school. Really? You're gonna remind the teacher we had a test. Nobody likes tests. But we like things that are tested. We were driving up to New York on that long drive, that 10 hour drive, and Fred was talking about the class he just took, which he passed for his motorcycle. And that was stressful for him. There was a lot of stuff he had to pass in order to get that. But we like the fact he's tested. We like the fact that that 16-year-old that just got a license had to be tested before they stepped behind that wheel. And when they're driving behind us, we like the fact that their brakes were tested on that car before it was purchased. We we like things that are tested, and God does too. And the tithe is a test. It's a God-ordained test. It tests our trust. It's a foundation of trust for future tests of faith. Your faith will be tested a hundred different ways in life. The tithe lays a foundation of trust in God. There are some important questions God wants to ask us. Is your faith genuine? Do you trust me enough not to give what's left over, but your first fruits? Pastor Fred has long used four questions as he teaches on generosity uh, that bring materialism out of the dark and into the light. And at the Elam Conference, the, the keynote speaker, his name was David Ireland. He's a pastor of a a church in New Jersey that is thousands of people. He's also like the diversity consultant for the NBA. He's the chaplain for the Jets and the Giants. But he's super intelligent, super intelligent. And he spoke. I missed his first sermon because I was back at the hotel. But I was like, I'm going to make it to the last sermon. I took as many drugs as possible. I got there. And his last sermon was on questions. His illustration was from Nehemiah and how he asked that one question about Jerusalem. How's Jerusalem doing? And it changed his life. Changed the entire course of his life. He quoted Voltaire that says, judge a man not by his answers, but by his questions. Questions have life to them. We've got to let them sit, have a gestational period, right? Percolate for a little bit. Meditate on them. Quality questions lead to a quality life. That's one of the things David Ireland said. And he had four questions that he gave us as pastors. He called them his four friends because those were four questions that in years and years of ministry, God had hit him with. He called him four friends because he kept him with him all through life and it kept his perspective on point. So these four questions that Fred has, I want to give you four friends that will keep you on the course of generosity when you ask these questions to yourself throughout life. The first is this, am I submitted? You know, the NBA playoffs are about to start, I think, in a matter of hours. I lost interest when the Wizards didn't make it. But at the end of the NBA playoffs, there's only one winner. You know, at different ages you get participation trophies but when you've made it to the NBA you don't get that there's only one championship trophy they get it everybody else goes home a loser there's no honorable mention but you think about science fairs back a little further in high school there was always the first the second the third place and then there was the honorable mention ribbon where you did good not good enough but we're going to give you honorable mention and it was important because at a big enough science fair you get honorable mention that could land you an internship or a job but it's This idea that you did well, you didn't get the prize, but something's better than nothing. Honorable mention means you were close, but not quite. And I think more of us than would like to admit, more days than we'd like to admit, give God honorable mention in our life. He's not our focus. He's there, but that's it. I think some people picture this idea that God desires the bare minimum. And when we get close to giving him more, get close to giving him our all, he's elated up there in heaven. But that's nowhere in the Bible. Something is better than nothing doesn't exist. Jesus says, hey, I want your all, all your heart, all your mind. Now that doesn't mean if we can't give him all my time that I don't give him five minutes of prayer in the word and work my way towards 10 and towards 15. This idea of all, it's not about the amount, it's about your heart. And you talk about tithing and giving and the questions that commonly come up is, is it even still required? Didn't it go the way of trimming the sides of your beard and not eating certain foods? Or should I, should I tithe gross or, or net? Or does God expect me to tithe when I'm struggling? Should I tithe my, I mean, I tithe my time to the church I serve, isn't that en- enough? But all these questions miss the point because they ask what's the least I can do to give and still be blessed? But biblical generosity is the same as our rest of our Christian walk, where God doesn't want 10% of us, he wants all of us. It's about total surrender to an all-powerful, all-loving God, a God who created all things, graces us with all we have, and who gave all he had at the cross. I love that Elam, they closed every worship set with a hymn, often the female vocalist in the keys, and they did I Surrender All. And the name of that song isn't I Surrender 10%, it's I Surrender All. All to you, my blessed Savior. Because as Paul would say in Romans 12, talking about our response to the cross, it's a reasonable response. I love that he uses that word. It's a reasonable response. Randy Alcorn once said, giving affirms Christ's lordship. It dethrones me and exalts him. It puts us in a place of submission. You know, I sometimes hear the objection that that 10 percent, it's not God's and you're half right because 100 percent. Is God's. You look at First Chronicles 29 verses 10 through 14. It's where gifts were given for building the temple. David is speaking, and as we give to build God's church, may we have David's perspective. It says in First Chronicles 29, verse 10 then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. O our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name, but who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have, has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. Come on, that last sentence is so powerful. Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. So I'm gonna let it marinate while I take a sip. (laughs) But maybe you're thinking David was on a roll there. Maybe he just spat that out or or, or blurred that out. But if you look at his own writing in Psalm, Psalm 24 verse 1, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. This reality that nothing is mine. Really, it's all his. It's a reality that should affect our priorities. There's a power to priority. There's a power to fixed values. Because if if you don't prioritize it, you won't do it. Think about exercise. If you say, I'm going to do it when I have the time, you're never going to find the time. If you say, I'm going to do it when I want to, you're never really going to want to, right? It's the same with spiritual growth. I'll pray when I have the time. We got an enemy that loves to just have stuff come up. You've got to make it a priority or you'll never grow the way God's calling you to. And then you look at finances, no fixed priorities in your finances, you'll end up in a deficit. It's called a budget. It's a fixed value. It's the power of priority. But you know, a common response to when I'm asked to do things is, I just don't have the time. So we ask for more, like I, I, I'll tell people, man, if you could give me an eighth day, I would love to paint that painting for you. If you could give me an eighth day, I would love to help you with that. But I just, I don't have the time and my bandwidth right now. It's like, if, if God gave me more, then, then I'd get on that. And I think sometimes we echo that with our finances. Well, if, if God gave me more, then I'd, I'd do that, I'd tithe. But you know, you talk about fixed equations in mathematics 10% is gonna grow as the rest grows. It's not about the percentage. It's a matter of priority. It's not about the provision. It's a matter of priority. And again, to go back to time, all time is a gift from God. A verse that's been wrecking me in this season of life where we've just been going through a lot with family and friends is, teach me to number my days so that I can walk in wisdom. When you think about tomorrow's not promised, think about I'm not getting any younger, teach me to number my days so that I can walk in wisdom. You know, with time, God only asks for one day a week, that Sabbath day. It's not because he only wants one out of your seven days, but that's just to remind us of the reality that really all of it's his. It's the same with the tithe. That 10% isn't just because only 10% is his, but he wants to remind us that, hey, all of it is mine, and I love you, and I'm gonna provide for you, but it's, all of it's a gift. The Bible's discussion of money so often isn't on tithing because it's about a lifestyle. It's not about the 10%, it's about whether God has all our heart and whether we're submitted What you do with every cent says something about how you feel about God and what he means to you. God doesn't want 10%. 10% in reality, it's just the equivalent of honorable mention. He wants all of our hearts. And we got to ask of our hearts all through life is, am I submitted in every area? Not just finances, but am I submitted? So those are the references. But the the next question that we should ask ourselves throughout life is, is, am I cheerful? So there's another video I'm going to show in a second. And it's just an example of a a cheerful giver. This girl is so adorable. Her laugh would light up your heart, but I can't imitate it right now. But uh, this video is of a, a cheerful giver. you want to learn how to pop and lock, he gets it right here. Paul, you still get to do this next week. I'll let it play because it gets good right about here. That's madness. That's actually not an example that I want any of you to follow. Um, but that's just hilarious to me. I saw that video the first time years ago. I laughed as hard last night when I was like, oh, I should pull that video up as I first did. So you're welcome. Um, if you're not a cheerful giver, we could put a ball for now. You'd be cheerful because you're still laughing about him almost taking out that woman's knees, diving across the floor. But again, we, Matthew 6, let me get it off the screen because this is gonna distract me. And she's cute anyways. Valentina is her name. But uh, again, we look at Matthew six twenty two. People often address it talking about lust. And when you look at love and lust, the most simple definition is that love gives, lust looks to take. Love always gives. The most beautiful picture of love we'll see in history is Jesus giving his life for us sinners on the cross. And a heart consumed with love for Jesus should be fueled and consumed by generosity. How can I give my life like Jesus did? A picture that for me just over Easter again and again, is, is Paul says, hey, husbands, lay your life down for your wife like Christ did for the church. That's a challenge, but it's something we should take up. How can we be more generous and more Christ-like in our lives? And surely if, if you look at our lives and you look at the lives of most of Jesus's followers in the Old Testament, most of Jesus's followers in the New Testament are being persecuted. Surely we're more blessed than most of them when we look at, again, all our blessings and those statistics we look at but I think sometimes you talk to people and they think the expectation of what we give now when you talk about the tithe is less than back then. But I don't, I don't see the logic in that when we're so much more blessed. I think the tithe should be the minimum as God continues to bless us in this culture. And when you look at what happened since the Old Testament, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the impact is profound. Jesus, again, he didn't die just to take away 10% of our sin. He died for all of it. They, again, they sung of him at the end of every set, and it is well. Man, I hadn't heard this lyric in so long. He said, or she sang, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Come on, Jesus didn't die for 10% of my sin. He died for all of it. Another hymn said, when I survey the wondrous cross, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And when I think about just that in general, and I think about it often is in life is how quick I can be to give God all my sin, the full weight of my transgressions. I'm quick to take up that grace, and yet I'm slow to give him my time, my focus, and my energy. You know, how often are we so quick to give him the full weight of our sin, and yet when he asks for something of us, we do it begrudgingly. You know, how often... <laughs> Can I joyfully give God my worst, but begrudgingly give him what he asks of me, my best? God doesn't want begrudging givers, but cheerful ones. Ones that realize, again, as Paul said in Romans 12, it's our reasonable response to give him our all. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus, maybe all this stuff I just was saying hits too close to home. We like it when Jesus talks about the Pharisees. So here's a quote about the Pharisees. It says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. We see here Jesus endorses tithing. He doesn't say, or he says, don't neglect it. Is it as weighty as justice and love and mercy? No, but it's still to be done. And we believe at City Life that the biblical principle of tithing is just as real to us now as it was in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and beyond, and, and we we'll readily admit, Jesus never said where you should give your tithe. But when you look at Malachi, it says, "Bring your tithe to the storehouse, bring your tithe to the place you're getting fed, the place of supply." You know, last year City Life did just that. We had the biggest giving year in the history of City Life. Almost 500. Thousand dollars, a half million dollars between the three campuses. It was remarkable, and again, you're seeing the fruit of what all that did in those videos. You see the fruit of it every time you look at the website and see the faces on there that we're reaching at three different locations. General giving last year again was 490 thousand. Faith Promise was 35 thousand. 2020 Vision was 74 thousand. Yeah, we should cheer for that. Thank you, Denise. But we did that with about 30 percent of the church either giving nothing or very, very little, and with only a small percent regularly tithing. And when we looked at the numbers, leadership realized that many people were failing the test of generosity that God was putting before them. That number doesn't need to change for the church, although if if that number of people tithing stepped up, then who knows what we could do, but that number needs to change for the health of the people that make up the church. In June, City Life's governance team is asking every campus pastor, and this is new To look at a report of who falls into the percent of people that give nothing or almost nothing. That calls City Life their home. They're going to run that report at the end of May, and it's going to be passed on in June. And if you've got questions about that, absolutely grab me. I'd love to talk to you about it. But Pastor Fred addressed this eloquently at the business meeting when he, he just said, we pastor people for every other area of their life. We preach 12 pathways here at City Life, one of which is generosity and giving. We should not be so reluctant to pastor there as well as other places. And this is what's not going to happen. We're not going to look at who's giving and who gives what. I don't want to know that. <laughs> I don't, because your natural human inclination is to look at people differently. So we're, we're never going to see that. You know, again, love always gives. And as pastors, we're to give love and ministry, and I don't want to dose it out in different doses because somebody gives this and somebody gives that. So we're not looking at who gives what. We're simply looking at who calls the City Life Church their home and, and needs help in this area of generosity. It's not going to be broadcasted, but, but we're going to look at that. So that's new. So we wanted to announce that. But we don't want to be like Timothy Keller in the quote we opened up with, looking back after decades of ministry, regretting that we didn't shepherd fully. You know, this year we set aggressive goals as We launched this campus in January. We've got three campuses for the first time as a church. So the the Finance Life team, Pastor Fred, we worked it together. Our goal is 544,000 of general giving, 35,000 of faith promise giving, 20,000 of 2020 giving. Again, we've explained what faith promise is. That goes towards the vision of the church. A lot of it is missions, and it's literally praying, God, what amount do you want to put on my heart in faith? And if it doesn't come in, you don't give it. But if it comes and you've promised to give it to the church, and then 2020 is different. It's every person here at City Life that calls City Life their home. Between now and 2020, giving towards the planning of more campuses, this building of a school of leaders that are going to help lead those campuses. But come on, we look at the numbers now. We're, We're a bit behind the general giving. We're not tracking with that yet. We're not tracking with Faith Promise giving yet. We're not tracking with 2020 giving yet. So I challenge you guys, if you haven't prayed about it, pray about it. Let God lay something on your heart and watch him do work. There's always testimonies every year of how God works in our lives to do stuff like we just did in the DR, to plant a campus like the one we're sitting in. We shouldn't be challenged to think about the 2020 vision. Man, should I get to that? We exist because of all the money that was given to 2020 last year. But again, those are just numbers. But general giving, open up the website, So many pictures of people that are being reached at different campuses. All those life groups, all those outreaches, it's funded through general giving. Faith promise. I think Nate posted that video of Steph. Go watch it again. All that stuff we do in the DR. Building latrines. We've built almost 20 there in that village. We're trying to get everybody a latrine there. We're trying to build a water filtration system for them because we do house visits while we're there. We've handed out Bibles, we were handing out glasses, reading glasses, because some people needed them, but this time while we were down there, no less than five different households, people have been sick in just the past weeks and months because of the quality of the water there. So our goal is to build a water filtration system there, but those aren't free, but that's what Faith Promise goes towards. And again, 2020 Vision, look at your neighbor, look at the pier you're sitting on, look at this beautiful ceiling, and uh, we're here because of 2020 Vision. And I would challenge you, if you haven't prayed about it, pray about it, look at your budget, look at what you can do, if it's $20, it's $20. It's a 2020 vision. But if it's more, do that. But stretch yourself. Because again, we should be submitted. We should be cheerful. But when you look at God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness that placed us right here, holding service right now, that should stir up faith for the future. And the third question we should ask ourselves throughout life in terms of generosity is, am I expectant? Am I expectant? You know, Sam's Club, Steph and I joined just this year, and I would have done it just so I could walk laps around whatever aisles, have the end caps of food, do it 20 times, call it a meal, right? But uh, that's my goal as a visitor. You know, Steph has, like, a, a grocery list. I'm like, where's the end caps at? Where can I go eat? I'm going to fall on my nose. But uh, there's a cover charge for Sam's Club. To be a member, you got to pay an annual fee. And I think so many people wrongfully see tithing as, like, a cover charge for church. But, again, it's more than that. It's, it's a test of trust. It's a foundation of trust for future faith, for an expectancy that will be in our life throughout our life. Again, we read Matthew 6 where it says, seek first the kingdom and all else will be added. In the Psalms, it says, delight yourself in the Lord. The question is, is he really first? Do you really trust him? Can he really trust you? The tithe is a test. And again, nobody likes tests because tests aren't easy. (laughs) Sometimes there's seasons where tithing isn't easy. Or maybe you're in an adoption process that costs more than college costs So you're kind of, you know, like eating peanut butter sandwiches or just skipping meals altogether and declaring a fast to make it spiritual. Right. <laughs> but there's times where where tithing isn't easy. But is it a priority? Because if it's a priority and a fixed value, you'll keep rolling with it and see the test. It's not just for you. Anybody ever in here ever told somebody, don't test me? Maybe in a little moment where your flesh is rising up, like, don't test me, bro. Don't test me. Don't talk to my wife like that, any of that kind of stuff. Well, God said in Deuteronomy, don't test me. Jesus echoed it and said, don't test the Lord your God. But there's one place in Scripture, the only place in Scripture, where God says to test him. It's in Malachi 3, verse 10. It says, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Come on, don't put a lid where God has put no limit. I think some people would say, again, I can't afford to tithe. God would say, hey, you can't afford not to. (laughs) I've put no lid on this. Don't put a lid on this. Jesus, again, he didn't cancel the test. He echoed it. He said himself, give and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will pour into your lap. Again, the tithe is a test, a foundation of trust for future faith. And Paul says, when you sow bountifully and cheerfully, you will have an abundance for every good work. I think that's an important verse because tithing isn't some guarantee for getting rich. This isn't Harry Potter. This isn't some uh, math equation. It's a faith equation. It's not a guarantee of worldly riches, but a guarantee of an abundance for every good work. God's going to get us through to what he's called us to as we're faithful to him. Again, just even looking at the DR team, the team that went down there, so many financial troubles on that team. Cars breaking down left and right where they're thinking, I don't know where the money's going to come from, but I'm still going. I'm still planning on going. And for every person, they were fully funded by the time we left. Just God's faithfulness as they were expectant and continued to give. Then, lastly, if we could have the worship team come up. The fourth question that we should ask ourselves in our lives is sorry, am I content? It was already on the screen. If you could pull that back up, but again in the DR they're so happy with really so little. We pull out a football, they're happy for a week. <laughs> and you know as they pursue God, you just see that they're walking in fulfillment. You know, our lives are are full they're richly blessed. We've got full schedules, full refrigerators, full closets, but are we fulfilled? There's fulfillment in the good news that we won't find anywhere else. Jesus addresses money so much because there's life to be found in a life of generosity. I love First Timothy 6, 6, where Paul says, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. I try to remember that verse as much as possible. It's one of those ones that I, I love to try to keep at the forefront of my mind. Man, godliness with contentment is itself a great wealth. In Hebrews thirteen five, it says, "'Let your character be free from the love of money, "'being content with what you have.'" Why? Because of the promise he follows up with that Jesus will never forsake us. Philippians four nineteen says, "'My God shall supply all of your needs "'according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus.'" And then again, we read from Matthew 6 and in the message version where it reads differently. It says, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. To not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Again, the problem isn't money. Jesus never says to refrain from the pursuit of money, pleasure, or wealth. He simply says, relax. Replace that as your chief pursuit with the pursuit of God and his kingdom. Again, it says in scripture in the same passage, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. So let's seek him. Follow him right out of the darkness into the light. Let's pass the test of generosity. Let's let that slat on our barrel be tall enough that we can be filled with what God wants to do in us, with our destiny and our purpose and our calling. Let's give him our first fruits, not our lukewarm leftovers. Let's not give him all our sin and then hesitate to give when he asks of us. So come on, let's pursue him. Again, it says in Psalms, let's delight ourselves in the Lord, knowing he'll give us the desires of our heart. So again, we're going to enter into worship, and if we could stand, let's let's delight ourselves in him, even as we sing this song. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Again, tithing isn't always easy. Making, giving and generosity, a priority in your life isn't always easy. Sometimes I look at my own bank account and I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> but we look to God again because again, as it's said in Philippians, he provides all things we need. You know, The earth is the Lord's, and everything is in in it. And when you believe that God owns all those things, God's almighty, he's sovereign, but then also that he's loving. He sees you as his son, he sees you as his daughter, and he's your father. There's a peace to be found in that. So God, we delight ourselves in you again tonight. God, we worship you even in this moment as we sing to you. We worship you, Jesus.